You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Welcome to the Antler Up Podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting gear, and we got a great show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 212, and on this week, I was joined by Greg Kazmersky over from the Whitetail Partners from Ohio. And in this conversation, Greg really discusses his work as a habitat consultant and realtor and his success stories in property design and his active presence that he has on social media. We also get into his scouting process, considering timing and pressure, and deciphering postseason sign and deer movement. We get into how to use pressure to your advantage and deal with limited access routes as well. Finally, we discuss surprising deer movement patterns. We also bring into this conversation insights and strategies with hunting whitetail. We discuss deer behavior, ability to adapt to their surroundings. We also get into that growing trend, the buzzword, thermal hubs and buck bedding in as we discuss hunting tactics greg explains his hierarchy of factors for hunting focusing on scrape locations buck bedding areas and the direction to doe bedding he shares his approach to scouting and finding late season october setups and greg reflects on his 2023 season and the and the importance of principles over tactics he emphasizes the need to enjoy the hunt and shares his favorite whitetail dish just like our past guests have been doing Listeners can also follow Greg over on Instagram and YouTube for more hunting content. Thanks again, everybody, for listening and tuning in this week. Really appreciate all the support. Have a great one. Antler up. Also, if you like what you hear, then please go leave that five-star review over on iTunes or Spotify and share with your family and friends. Also, while you're doing that and you want to watch the conversation, head on over to the Antler Up YouTube page. Make sure you subscribe there because we are going to be dropping every episode on video platform as well over on our YouTube channel. So check it out. Thanks again, everybody. Antler Up. Tethered is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tethered produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. Head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. Welcome back, everybody, to the show this week. I'm joined by Greg Kazmersky, right? Or did I butcher it? Got it. I got it. All right, good. good. Greg, man, it's great to have you on. Coming from Southeast Ohio. Greg, welcome to the show, dude. Thanks for having me, man. I'm really excited. Um, I always always like to talk deer, even if we're in the beginning part of the year. There's a lot of fun stuff to be doing in the woods right now, so excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely, and I couldn't agree more, and that's where I want this conversation to really drive, just because by the time this airs, that's what will be kind of people will be winding down of, of, uh, licking their lumps and bruises or picking up their, their trophies, whatever you see fit. Uh, and then it's going to start to change a little bit of, of their minds frame of, 
of, okay, now it's time to get back out there and, and, and do a little bit of scouting and along those lines. But, you know, Greg, like I said, coming from Southeast Ohio, I finally had a chance to hunt Ohio this past year, which I went with a good friend of mine, hunted some of his property and along those lines, got my butt kicked on that hill country type stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but man, I saw some really good, cool deer. I'm excited to get back there next year, which I'm excited to talk a little bit about with some of my buddies about those hunts and along those lines. But Greg, man, give a, give our listeners, give me, uh, coming from afar, you are doing some awesome work on social media, and I want you to explain that a little bit as well. But give a give the audience and myself a quick introduction of who you are, what you do, and and uh, what, what we're in store for today. Yeah, so uh, like you said, I'm, I'm from Southeast Ohio here. That's where I live now. Um, I actually was born and raised in uh, the northern lower peninsula of Michigan, and spent most most of my uh, life there. Uh, grew up, college, everything up there, and then a couple of years ago, my wife and I actually moved down to Ohio. Um, I started traveling to Ohio for out of state uh, public land hunts back in like 2018, I think it was, and uh, just really fell in love with everything that the state had to offer and made a lot of trips down here from Michigan. It was like the the state land I hunted, it was like a five hour drive one way. And I remember my second year down coming down, I would, I, I set a goal to make a one trip a month for the whole 12 months of the year, at least, whether it was scouting or hunting. And uh, I just got consumed in the quality of deer, uh, the culture, the people down here, everything about it. I just really loved it. And um, whitetails have always been a passion of mine, which is, it was a big reason why we moved to Ohio um, was for me to chase some of my professional dreams of really just finding a way to get plugged in working in the industry. Um, early on, I was I was doing just really anything I could. Like when I was in college, I had like my own uh, mineral mix that I made for people to use out in the woods. I helped a guy that had a outdoor brand. I was just doing like marketing and stuff for him and. Um, I was always doing habitat work, which is what I do mainly now. Um, So I work as a habitat consultant where I work with landowners all over the Appalachia area. And I I design their properties and help them manage their habitat just to really increase the hunting experiences they have on their properties. Um, I do that in Ohio. Uh, I go over to Indiana sometimes, but mainly it's Ohio, Kentucky, West Virginia, Virginia, and then a little bit up into PA as well. Um, And then on top of that, I also am a licensed realtor here in the state of Ohio, and I I strictly focus on recreational land and really plug people in with the habitat design. Um, I like to help people buy the properties, design them, improve them, and then they either stick around and hunt them for generational type stuff or they sell and move on to a bigger piece of property. So really everything I do professionally is centered around whitetails. just because it's it's my my true passion. So I found a way to merge that in and actually be able to make a living off of it. So I consider myself really lucky. That's pretty awesome, man. So let me ask you this question. When it comes to designing the, these properties and helping people out, like when they already have a piece of property, right? Like if you, you know, uh, John Doe has this piece and he really is, he says, man, Greg, this, I'm, I have deer, but they're not keeping or anything along those lines. When you look at that that blank slate of what things that you could do, you know, what are some of those things that uh, you you really try to drive uh, to these, you know, your clients basically 
uh, that are some of the, like the key important factors that maybe leads to a little bit of uh, success for them? Yeah, so that, that really varies from one person to the next, which is why anytime I start working with somebody new, um, the first thing I do is just really take a lot of time to get to know them on a personal level and just understand what exactly it is that they're trying to get out of working with me. Um, first off, to make sure that what I'm going to provide to them is of value and to make sure that the design that I put together for them is going to help them achieve whatever types of whitetail goals that they have because I work with people that are just buying property, maybe have only been hunting for a couple of years, mm -hmm. and they really want a better understanding of the basics of how do I properly access stand locations, hunt those stand locations on the right winds, why would a deer be in front of me at that stand location, and then it's all the way up to guys that are very dedicated whitetail hunters and they either don't have a lot of time to put together a plan for a property or they are just looking for that second opinion maybe they're overlooking something um, so i'm really just trying to plug these designs in based off of what that landowner is looking to get out of the property and each one looks really different but in in a general sense what we're trying to do is Find those opportunities for food, whether that be bringing food on the property, using neighboring lands, um, like if we're in ag country, we're going to rely on that. And then creating bedding areas, travel corridors, and kind of having it just really all synced together and then placing in those prime stand locations to keep things low impact, but also have those high odds opportunities throughout the piece. Nice. Um, so let me ask you this question, Greg. I know my dad has always talked about like, oh, I want to buy some property somewhere along those lines. What is that process like if, you know, someone like say myself or my dad or a listener, like what does that look like for you if we were to hire you along those lines? Yeah, so that's that's really going to be a similar process if I'm just getting hired on by somebody to do a design on a piece of property. Um, I'm going to take that time on the front end to really get to know you and what are you looking to get out of this property, you know, because that is so different for so many different people as mm -hmm. well, where you may just be looking, you know, I want to buy this 20, 40 acre piece of property, improve it because eventually 10 years from now, I want to own a 300 acre mega farm that I can just manage to a T. Some people just want a 40 acre piece. They can build a home on and they can live there and then they can hunt right out of their backyard. And so I'm going to take that time on the front end to get to know, okay, what is it that you're looking to get out of this property size wise? And then we're just going to um, start looking for those properties. Um, I'm going to go there with you, make sure that we are finding the right property for you. And, um, you know, on those visits, I'm typically drawing up the design in my head and like really deciding, can we achieve the goals you want to get out of this piece with what this piece has to offer? Um, so just like a lot of thinking work, I guess, you know, it's, yeah. it's not necessarily a ton of pen and paper type of stuff. It's just a lot of opinion based before we actually get to put the plan into action. Yeah. That's pretty cool. When, um, this past year, any cool, uh, success stories or anything along those lines from a client or anything like that, that you, uh, are, are pretty uh, pumped about to share? Oh yeah, actually I have, it's two of my really good buddies. Um, they, they've been hunting with me. Uh, we started going on out of state hunting trips. I mentioned down here to Ohio. Uh, we also go out to Wisconsin as well. And we started doing that in 2018 and they're just like, 
uh, to my ride or die guys. Like we scout mm-hmm. together, hunt together, do all that stuff. Uh, they bought their first piece of property this year. It was only a 10 acre piece that had a house on it as well. And I put together a design with them on it. And we, with it being 10 acres, it was very small. So we only had a couple of stand locations on there and we really tried to optimize it for a late season opportunity. And they just completely stayed out of there all fall. We did our hunting trips and stuff and they went back there at the end of the end of the season and they were able to tag a buck on their property Um, just to be able to see that work in the first year, like having our plan be like, okay, we're going to set this up. So that way these bucks get pushed into here for like a late season type of setup. We're going to plant the food for a late season plot. And then to be able to see it just plan out, like, cause we, we put this into play. Like I went on their property back in June of 2023. And then just, you know, seven months later, they sent me a picture of that buck on the ground. And it's just like, it's really cool. And that was probably my favorite one just because, I've been so close with those guys and spend so much time with them out in the woods. I was just really happy to see them get that on their first piece. And it just shows that, you know, even a 10 acre parcel, you can do something on that and have a really good hunting experience on there. Yeah. That's pretty neat. Now you've been pretty busy, obviously doing the whole retail or realtor stuff, doing the whole uh, designing uh, properties and helping people out. And like I said earlier in the introduction, you're really active on social media. You do a bunch of things. So, man, what are some things that you've been up to recently? Oh, uh, yeah. So I try to go like season based, you know, earlier back in like October, November, I was doing a lot of like strategy type stuff on social media where I was sharing with people um, just different places in like the hill country, uh, like what I'm setting up on, um, you know, just all of that good stuff. And then now kind of transitioning more into the habitat work, the scouting opportunities, everything like that. Um, I actually just put together a an ebook that goes into how to use the Onyx Hunt app and then also a breakdown of different terrain features, um, just like how to read a topo map, and then a little bit into like my scouting process for a full year. And I just really tried to go into detail. And honestly, like my goal with anything I do on social media is just to help people any way that I can. Um, You know, I'm not saying by any means that I'm an expert, you know, I, I follow a lot of really Um, really smart and better hunters than I do. Uh, But I've learned a lot along the way because I spend a ton of time in the woods, you know, whether it's working with somebody on their property or just me going out scouting and hunting. I spend a lot of time and I've learned a lot along the way. And a lot of the stuff I've learned can be broken down into these short little consumable bits of information, which is what I started doing on social media. So just a really good way for me to um, give back to the hunting community. Uh, I just, I really think that we need to focus more on like helping each other out rather than, Hey, this is the secret sauce. And I'm not going to share this with you because I want to keep it for myself. Like I've never been a part of that. And I get just as much joy in watching other people succeed as I do for myself. Um, So that's really like what I'm aiming to do with all of my social media stuff. No, that's awesome. And like I said, I've, I've pinned a couple where I was like, I'm saving that one. Like I said, great talking points, just some really good things. And you know, what's really too, uh, seeing some of the 
comments on it where people are like, man, finally a, a really good, uh, informative hunting, you know, uh, page or something along those lines. So it's, it's really neat to see that, you know, it, you do a really good job of the animation, all that type of stuff. So, you know, you talked to, you just said you have like your, your scouting process and this past year, Greg, just to kind of give you a quick lowdown, this past spring was my first spring in eight, 10 years that I had without coaching. I got out a lot more. I was doing a lot of things for Tethered as far as creating content. So I was in the woods, kind of like what you're saying. It was like kind of like a little side gig where it forced me to be out there a little bit more than I was, you know, used to. So it was almost like double the time because one, I had it, and then two, I needed to be out there type of ordeal. Man, I've I it helped me out tremendously locally where I live. Back at home in northeastern Pennsylvania, I scouted a pr- probably about the same or maybe a little bit more, and I had success there as well. Kind of like you said, timed it up perfectly along those lines with during the season and had success. But my process for this year, I'm a little bit behind that I would like to, I think, in my mind. But in reality, I don't think I'm that far behind our season as far as late season goes. Just ended uh, yesterday. So... Uh, I know there's still time to go. There's lots of snow going out there. So I, I know I got lots of time to go because even when I started doing it last year, it wasn't until for a couple more months. But when you look at your process, I'm starting to come into my own. What is your process now that, like, again, you work with clients, you've been doing it for uh, yourself for a long time. What does that look like for you? Maybe on a major macro level, and then how can you maybe talk a little bit about it in micro pieces? Yeah. So on a, on that macro type level, um, for me now, just with like where the phase I am in my life with working with so many people on properties and showing people properties and all over Southeast, even up into like Northeast Ohio, I go for the real estate side, I'm literally all over the place. Um, I still hunt a lot of public land. I, you know, it's just like, I cut my teeth on public land and I learned so much that I think it's a part of me that's never going to die. I just really love the challenge of it. And there's always like that elusive idea of tagging like that monster public land buck that always just keeps me coming back and i've been so (laughs) close like it just makes me want to keep doing it and um with with where i am in life now though i focus more on getting a lot of really good spots and then kind of watching how they develop um year over year so with me traveling so like for example tomorrow um, i'm headed down to do a property visit in kentucky and I'm going to be down there until probably about like one, two o'clock. And that's going to be right over the Ohio River. So I know that I'll have a couple of hours um, of daylight at the end of the day to just go in and do a, a speed scout on a place that I've already picked out on the map, just like a small piece. Because in southern Ohio, we have a ton of like checkered board national forest ground where the pieces aren't big, but you can go in there and cruise the top of the ridge or bottom, wherever you want to go. And you can get a good idea of like, okay, I feel like this is a place that I could come back to at X time of the year. And there could be some deer in here. Um, and I just like to start out by stacking as many of those properties as I can. And I'm really big on like the note taking side of things, sticking to this macro level. I like to, um, just log all of the info that I found anytime I go into a piece for that first time to know, like, I can just cross this off the list or, hey, this might be a really good spot. 
because there's this oak tree at the bottom of the ridge. So I think I could come in here early and there might be a buck bedded up on that, on that point up there. Um, so I'm going to stack as many of those as I can. And then once I get um, into like the summer, I'll go and de start deploying cameras in some of my favorite places and then start to get an idea on what types of bucks I'm working with. Um, but just because, you know, I'm, I, I'm definitely somebody that's going to go out there and I'm, I'm after the bigger and the better bucks. That's just that's how I'm wired. And uh, that's that's what I like to like to chase. So. I'll, I'll look for the ones that I want to chase after, and then I'll just kind of keep narrowing down my approach until I have, you know, a few really good pieces of land that I know is worth focusing my time. And then I'm just going to go out there and hunt them kind of as it sees fit. You know, if I, if I'm down in the Southeast tip of Ohio, I, I know that I can find one or two pieces to hunt within 20, 30 minutes of any time I'm spending time for work down there. Um, and then more so on like the micro level, I have a few places that I've been hunting since 2018, a few pieces of public ground. And now I've got access to some private property as well. Um, I look at like more those as like more like the home turf type place where I understand how the deer are are using that specific piece um, on the private land. I have the opportunity to implement these habitat projects to really get the deer to use it the way I want them to. Um, so between that and then just understanding how the deer use those home ground public pieces, I have a very specific approach where I know that this ridge top is going to give me a very good opportunity from say October 12th to the 16th through historical tram trail cam data, stand sites, everything like that. So I know that like for that spot that I'm talking about, if I have a day off of work between the 12th and the 16th and the wind's right, I'm going to that tree. Like I already have the tree picked out. So as I become more comfortable with places, I narrow it down. So like, I know I can go in and have a really good hunt in one tree where if I'm just broadly casting a net, I'm just going to go and look for like the best thing on a piece I've never been into. Yeah. So when we look at this, if, if this airs in, in February here, what, what should an individual be maybe looking at or potentially coming up with a game plan as far as getting their, their scouting mission uh, work together? I think the biggest, like the best place to start is having an understanding of what time of the year are you going to be hunting wherever you're scouting around. You know, if it's your home, if, if it's your home piece and you have the whole season to hunt it, that's a completely different approach than when me and my buddies hop in the car for the weekend and go to, to Southern Wisconsin. And we know that we're only going to be out there the first week of November. So if it's a piece that's like my home base, that's when I'm really going to break it down and try to understand those seasonal shifts of how can I hunt said buck in the beginning of the season and where is he going to go as he reacts to the pressure and the changes uh, throughout the fall, where if I'm just going for like my out of state rut hunt, well, I'm just going to strictly find the best rut funnels um, and take in, in, into account all of the outside factors of, okay, I know that this food source is planted in the ag field. And last time that field was beans, this was a really hot pinch point. Or last time that field was corn, that pinch point over there was way hotter. And looking at like those macro factors of like, what has the biggest influence on those specific pinch points? Because I feel like when I know I only have a week in a tree in a certain area, 
I'm going to just, I want to put as much time in the tree as possible because just the nature of the places I hunt on trips like that, it's, Mm -hmm. it can happen at any time, you know, like for my trail cameras this year, um, I had a shooter buck in daylight on October 31st and November 4th, but I was only able to hunt it on November 1st and 2nd. So it's like, if I could have got that full week, you know, likely I would have had an opportunity, but I was sandwiched right in the middle of the best days to be in that tree. Right. So let me, let's break this down because I, I really like that terminology of home base versus like a specific week, whether that specific week could be in your home base or out of state. And that was kind of the trouble and, and even still some of the trouble sometimes on the property that I'll hunt in Northeastern Pennsylvania with hunting a, either a, one of the more mature bucks and you know, you, 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 you kind of key in on where doe are and all that type of stuff. So when you look at going out there right now and, you know, it's March, let's just say we're, we're getting out there, we're deciphering that sign. How do you decipher like, okay, this could be that early time, early season time frame. And, and you kind of alluded to it earlier when you were saying about maybe being at the bottom and there was an oak tree. Like that is where I think personally i struggled a couple years ago was like oh i overlook those things right like i would just be like rub rub rubs great cool great and you mark those down and you're like oh this was just littered with sign and then you go hunt it the next year and there's nothing there (laughs) right you know what i mean like you you just kind of you know like i said it, it has evolved and i've gotten so much better and i feel a lot more confident in those abilities and in my understandings with that you know i guess let to to kind of have you elaborate on how do you decipher whether it is home base or out of state the timing of when you would go in there to hunt based off of that postseason sign that, that you're finding? Yeah, so that that's really going to come down to um, when I'm in a particular area. So say like, let's just for example use I'm on a home base and I know this particular ridge system really well. I'm going to look for when do I feel like I have my best opportunity to come in here and tag the buck that I'm after. Um, so if we're going to look at it from, say, I, I know of a place that I want to look, okay, I'm, I'm specifically going out and I'm trying to target early season opportunities. Um, if I'm going to do that on my home base. Now I have this booklet of places where I know I can go and focus in the early season. One of my favorite early season targets are white oak trees. So what I'll do first to start really understanding like, okay, how can I pick the right tree? First thing I'm going to do is go through an area um, and, and, and to add a little context to this, a lot of my early season stuff is done around like farm country. So there's not as much timber, not as many places for these bucks to be bedded. I'm going to look for all of the oak trees in this farm country. So when there's limited timber, there's really not that many places white oaks can be. So I'm going to go through and I'm going to mark all of those out. And if I'm continuing to scout through that day, I'm going to try to understand and identify where can all of the places these bucks are bedded specifically, or where would they be coming from that bedding area into this oak tree? And I'll go and look and try to identify the entry routes from bed to food, because I think like those white oak trees are a really good opportunity early on, especially like right around opening day. And 
I will go and I'll identify all of those opportunities on whatever property I'm breaking down. And then I'll come back in beginning of September. Like I'll go the first couple of days. I love getting out there on Labor Day weekend because typically there's nobody out there for one because everybody's out on vacation. It's still nice weather. Um, and you can tell which white oak trees are producing. So at that time, I can go out there. I already have my spots marked, so I can plan that route and I can be super efficient. And all I'm doing is going and looking, okay, oak tree A, C, and F all are loaded with, with white oaks. And then I can go right back and hang my trail cameras accordingly. And I can see, okay, do I have a target buck? that I want to go after in one of these spots. So like, that's a high level example of how I can break down mm -hmm. and like target a specific um, set of parameters for like an early season opportunity. Take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from Exodus Outdoor Gear. They have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Yeah, I like that. Now, when you look at the, also during this time frame, walking here in Pennsylvania, there might be certain areas where I'm like, okay, not a lot of hunting pressure. It, it didn't seem like, or I could be walking through and whether it's, I pulled a camera, there's a bunch of people on it, or there could have been, uh, you just know, right? You know, how does that help you either maybe scratch that whole area off entirely, maybe push a little bit in a different direction, maybe look at it as a, in a, in a different light. What does pressure mean or dictate for you when it comes to, to your postseason scouting? Yeah. So when I know of pressure, because like there are some, mm -hmm. some instances where you, you don't you know, of don't pressure. Know. like, yeah, <laughs> like you can, you can find tree stands and stuff in the woods, sign of hunters, but like, you don't truly know until you spend time on a piece or you get that trail camera data of what exactly type of level of pressure do we have here? But say it's an area that like, I, I know I was able to confirm and I can use an example um, from this year and a nice piece of information that I already picked up on from some postseason scouting I put one trail camera on this old logging grade and it ended up getting like, I don't even know how many people on there. Like I couldn't, I actually couldn't believe the number of people that were on this trail <laughs> camera. Like it was insane. Um, and it wasn't just the same people. It was like a lot of different people. Well, I look at pressure as that's not anything that I can control. Like if I'm hunting a piece of public land, I can't control how many guys get to hunt that piece. So instead of it being something that I allow to like dictate my hunt negatively, I try to find a way, okay, how can I use this positively? And what exactly are those deer going to do, particularly the bucks I'm after to adjust to that pressure? And if I know that's the main in and out for these guys coming into the woods, I had a pretty good idea that the bucks are going to bed in a position that is either looking at that or they have a wind advantage at that. Well, there's a few different little points that set up where they were able to overlook that logging road perfectly. 
And I went up to those points and to no surprise, buck bedding. And now my wheels started turning of, okay, this buck beds here and you can kind of break down the wind. You can go into that, that granular level of detail and you know, they're going to bed there at that certain, certain uh, condition. And you then reverse engineer of like, okay, how can I hunt this buck without him knowing that I'm coming into this area? And it's by backdooring somehow, some way. So I'll use pressure in the sense of, I know there's a lot of pressure and try to do the opposite of what everybody else is doing. Like you hear that a lot and not just hunting, but like if you're talking about business investing, whatever it is, like people will say, do what the public isn't doing. So if every single person is using that as access trail, I'm going to find a way to not have to use that as my access trail. And I instantly know that's going to put me in a better position to tag a buck there the next year. Yeah. Well, speaking of access trail, what do you do or what do you kind of help people out when, it, when, man, if they they are just so limited on their access route opportunities, because that's the certain spots here in Pennsylvania, whether it's public on private that I hunt, it, I'm, it is sometimes you're just extremely limited. Yep. And that, that's a big thing that we come across a lot. Like when I'm working on a piece of property with a guy And for me, if I get into a position and I'm working with the landowner and the access is limited, whether it be because they only have so much physical ability to get into a certain area this one particular way, or the land just doesn't work with us where we have to put bedding and food in an area that would be really good access, whatever that may be, I'm looking at that from a quality over quantity perspective. Now, granted, this is in a situation where we have complete control over that pressure, but there's an amazing thing that happens on a piece of property that's well managed when you limit that pressure and you only hunt stands when you should be hunting them. So like on a piece of private ground with limited access, I'm looking and identifying those few key spots and my access is always just like straight in, straight out. And we're only going in here on these particular conditions. Now, the majority of those stand locations are going to be super low impact where you your odds of tagging your buck in those stands aren't nearly as high. And then we're going to add in a few very high impact stand locations where I make it very, very clear like, hey, we're only going to be hunting this tree once, maybe two times the whole fall. But that day you go in there is very likely going to be the day that you're going to tag that buck. So when access is an issue, I just make sure to be very clear of like, Hey, when you're going in here, like you're in his stuff. So make sure that you're not doing it, you know, every Tuesday at five o'clock, because if you do that, he's not going to be there anymore. You only want to do it on this one day. And thankfully we're in a position now where we have the ability to track data with trail cameras, this and that. And you can have an idea of uh, on these pieces of private, like, okay, I have a pretty good idea of when I want to get in here and go after this buck. Right. Well, let me ask you this question, Greg, just because we're, we're talking, my, my gears in my head are, are, are turning a little bit. What have you seen as far as deer movement that maybe like surprises you a little bit and it's not normally the norm or what we constantly hear about or that we read about anything along those lines that you jump out and you're like you know yeah you know historically and normally this is what happens but man i've seen a lot of this type of deer movement because of whatever 
terrain feature or the way the property lays out. Is there anything like that that comes to mind? Because if not, I, I do have something and I want to just see what your, uh, maybe your experience, if you have anything like that with, from, from my situation. Yeah. So I do have one thing. Um, now when we're looking at a, a, like a nice piece of private ground where we're putting in one of these plans and we're controlling the human pressure on it, honestly, like you can design a property and the deer are going to use that property the way you intend them to, as long as that, that pressure is related and not, not there with relation to the deer movement, but on, on public ground, on the other hand, I think one of the coolest things that I've found, and this is honestly like one of the best, best features that I found, especially in hill country, are those slight micro features that when you look at a topo map, you can barely even identify them. Now, that access trail I was mentioning a while back, it was a nice logging grade that went right directly to a great big saddle, which you could identify zoomed way out on onyx so that's right where everybody's going because you hear saddle and you think i can set up on said saddle and there's going to be a buck that cruises through it but when everybody's doing the same thing those bucks aren't going to cruise that big obvious saddle on the other side of the ridge where there's a micro draw a washout that you can't really see on the hillside the tops of like something like that of a washout are some of the best rut funnels that I've been able to locate. Um, and it's just not something that honestly you can, most of the time you really just can't even see it when you're looking at a map. Um, it's something you have to find boots on the ground. And I think that is in a nutshell is probably like a, a good way to sum it up. Is like, you have to be able to put the boots on the ground to find what really is that secret little spot that all of the deer seem to be using. Yeah. Those, those micro little features, those things are key, man. Like you said, you like, you have to put your boots on the ground to get out there to see, because sometimes regard, regardless of whatever mapping service you're using, sometimes they don't keep, you know, pop up as, as yeah. good. And then, you know, and sometimes too, they might look like, like, Oh, that might be that. And you get there, you're like, yeah, no, that's <laughs> not it. Right. It's, it's, yeah. it's the total opposite, but yet those key, you get those little micro features along with like, or vegetation and four different things come together man just it just sometimes it just seems like those are just loaded with sign yeah now to kind of to kind of backtrack greg of what i was saying like my my situation of like deer movement and the things that i've seen to kind of give you and i've talked about it on the podcast too many times i guess i I should say but you know when i go back home to northeastern pennsylvania and hunt the mountain it is like ridge after ridge after ridge after ridge. Then it's really for my dad and I, where we, on the side that we hunt, it's a north facing slope. There's, think of it like a two track uh, gravel road that goes down, up and down from the top to the bottom. And that is where our entry route is. Like, there's really no, unless we're side hilling from miles and miles away, like, why would we do that? Because, you know, we're just going to be one, there's nowhere to do that. And two, mm-hmm. we'd just be moving deer. So with that, man, we've noticed, you know, a couple of years ago when this whole like, oh, you need to be further back, you need to do this, you know, do that. Like growing up, my dad and I, we only hunted a couple hundred yards from that road and we would see deer. I would shoot deer. It seemed like every single year. Right. And, you know, a couple of years ago, I was like, I need to get in a little bit more deeper and in, into nastier stuff. But I didn't really come across as many deer. And then 
you put these cameras closer to those roads, to the road, and you hunt a little bit closer, you you watch and see how the deer move. Man, these deer move parallel with that two-track road, 15 to 20, 30 yards max, it seems like when they're going up and down, like as far as like when they're moving from bed to feed. It is fascinating to see because it's real thick brush too. Like, I mean, you could be walking, they may not even see you, or you don't even see them. You hear them, but you don't see them because of how thick and nasty it is. I was just curious is just to see like what some of those, you know, I, I just found it fascinating that for how big that mountain is, for how thick and nasty it is, those deer just love being parallel with that road and they will just up and down it as close to it as possible. Yeah, I, I definitely see that here uh, as well, whether I'm up in the hills or over in farm country, whatever it may be. And I feel like it there's a few reasons why, in my opinion, anyway, you know, the first is it's an edge, no different than a cut tree line, that vegetation change or a river, a creek, whatever it may be. Um, but I always feel like these deer are so good at living like right on the other side of very mm -hmm. dangerous territory. And I see that a lot down here too. I see it more with like um, hiking trails, horse trails, that type of thing, where though you can slip in to the timber off of the trail, like 20 yards, and there's that parallel trail running right down the edge of it, hang a trail camera on it. And you see, oh my gosh, there's a lot of deer using this. Um, between that and then like the little area that's right next to a parking lot, that little thicket, you'll see deer yep. activity in there as well. And I just think that, they get pushed around so much that the only areas sometimes that people aren't disturbing might be that little pocket of brush that's right off of the parking lot or right next to the road system, whatever it may be. And, you know, they're really good at just tucking away and letting you go by. Like, I don't know if you have any experience with this, but I have a lot of experience where, I'll be walking through the woods on a scout all day. You might see one or two deer. Um, but a lot of times, more often than not, if I'm walking and I stop and I either like I'm sitting down to eat lunch or I'm really trying to break down an area looking at a map, I can be standing in one spot for three to five minutes. And then all of a sudden, a group of deer jump up and take off. So, you know, that tells me that there's a lot of times I walk right past these things. And if you're not walking directly at them, you're never going to know they're there. It's kind of like a rabbit, you know, um, where you can walk and basically step on a rabbit before it's just going to take off like crazy and go to the next brush pile. Well, I feel like deer have kind of adapted the same way where they'll just tuck in and they'll just wait and wait and wait until they know like, okay, I have to get out of here now. Um, so that's what's kind of, I feel like pushes them into these areas that are so close to us um, because we're really creatures of habit and we do the same thing again and again, and they're just really good at living right on the edge of danger. Right. I'll tell you what, the one thing listening to podcasts this past year, especially I would say, I don't know, late spring over the summer, getting ready to, for hunting season, the key buzzword that I felt like, you know, everything goes always in ebbs and flows, right? Like certain certain uh, topics and, and tactics and strategies have their their moment. And this year was like the thermal hub. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed like every, oh, yeah. everybody was like thermal hub, thermal hub, thermal hub. You know, other than that, obviously, 
and it could be that. What what did you get a lot of DMs about this past year asking you questions about or anything along those lines that people uh, were were looking for some some pointers on? That was that was definitely um, the big <laughs> thing was thermal hubs. Part part of the reason is because I talk about them a lot. I'm obsessed with them. Like anytime I see one on a map or I get into one, it's just like I just I'm super fascinated about it, and I feel like each one's so unique that I just yep. I can spend so much time in them. Um, but outside of that i get a i get a ton of stuff about um just like trying to understand how to locate buck bedding in different types of habitat um it's and it's not like it's it's not easy and it takes a long time like i honestly i've walked around the woods for years before i found what even i could resemble as like my first buck bed but it's just one of those things like anything else that once you find it once, it's easier to find it the second time. And then as you mark, like for somebody like me, that is very diligent about marking the spot, taking notes on it, understanding, okay, this buck would be bedded here on these specific conditions. You can start to have a really good idea from looking at a map on a place you've never been to and say, okay, there, there's more than likely going to be a buck bed in one of these five locations if there's a buck living on this property. And then you can right. kind of reverse it. But yeah, I would say that's the biggest thing outside of hubs is buck bedding that people want to know more info on. How important are buck beds to you? Um, it varies really. You know, okay. like I, I definitely have some setups out there where I'm not doing anything but hunting it might not be an individual bed. Like, I don't want to say that. And I don't want to get people caught up on if you find a bed, you're going to be able to kill that buck because there's a lot of studies out there that show that bucks use a ton of different beds, but you can hunt certain areas, whether if it has limited cover or certain terrain that you can have a pretty good idea. Like, Hey, this buck's probably going to be bedded. If the wind's blowing out of this direction during this time of the year, there's at least a better chance that he's going to be bedded there. And I do a lot of bed based hunting in the early season, because I feel like that's probably my best chance to tag a buck early on. Um, but it's not something that I get super caught up on. Um, it was when I, when I first like entered into, like you get into serious deer hunting, I feel like, and you start to try to understand things and it's like, well, I can cut this curve down if I just figure out where Mr. Buck is living and then I'll figure out where he's walking and I'm just going to set up in the middle. But you realize, okay, he doesn't bed here all the time. He probably already saw you on the way in this, that, and everything else. And you start to understand like, okay, it's not quite that easy. Um, I still love to find them because knowing where they are is a piece of the puzzle to help understand how that buck could be using the landscape. You know, if it's in the hills and, you know, he at least beds out on this point sometimes, I know like directionally how he's going to be using the landscape. So they're definitely important. I don't overlook them, um, but it's not something like if you aren't going out and finding where bucks are bedded, you can still have a ton of success. Right, right on. What's your hierarchy when it comes to, I guess, uh, when it comes to actually hunting, right? Like let's kind of transition out of the the scouting just for this one one question here. When it comes to you actually getting in the woods, bow in hand, whatever it may be, what is your hierarchy of like the important factors for you to to go in on that deer? 
so that's definitely going to vary on the time of the year. Um, do you want to like look at like a specific time of the season maybe? Cause it, it definitely yeah. changes based off of when I'm hunting for sure. Let's, let's do my favorite time of the year. Let's do like that 25th of October, like the 22nd of October to that November 3rd timeframe. Okay. So, so something like that. Um, I feel like that's when these bucks are starting to transition from that very strict bed to food pattern to they're getting up more. They're kind of exploring, leaving that home range a little bit and starting to check out the does a lot more. So what I'm doing in, especially like in the early 20 ranges of October, that's like, I'm strictly hunting scrapes. Um, and I'm typically hunting scrapes that are adjacent to known buck bedding areas and are on their way to doe bedding. So if I had to do a hierarchy, it would be one, having the scrape location that I know I can get into and hunt and get a chance at that buck. Two, knowing where that buck is bedding area is at least. And then three, having it be on the direction to head to does. Those are going to be the three key factors for me in that time period. Um, as far as the scrapes go, uh, sometimes that they're out there naturally, but I've had really good success with mock scrapes as well. Nice. And I think that if you're very intentional for something like that, like I have mock scrapes that I set up for just inventory purposes, but I have mock scrapes I set up that I'm specifically putting them there for kill scrapes. And uh, like, for an example, I have, I had a spot this year where there's this overgrown cattle pasture. That's just like a buck haven. There's a lot of bucks that bed there. There's a little fence gate that's broke down. That is a main path coming out of that buck bedding area, 50 yards off that fence row. I added in a mock scrape this year. Now, I never hunted that piece because I wasn't confident of how the wind interacts there, but I made that mock scrape and I hung a trail camera on it and I got a ton of daylight buck pictures in that time frame that you're speaking of because I knew that where I put that mock scrape was perfect for those bucks to leave bed and circle down and go check all of the doe bedding that was right next to the primary food. So now I know in the fall of 2024 i have all of this data for you know the biggest bucks were using this corridor under these conditions and you're able to dissect as much data as you want and it can mean whatever it wants to you and that's kind of like what i like that would be my approach during that time of the year is um, I'm, i'm being very specific and diligent about hunting over those scrapes I like that. And that is that the scrape. I love scrape hunting too. That's kind of obviously what I'm keen in on during that time frame. Do, is there a time of during the scouting time period where you look at that and like, man, this is where I know I would like to be during that late October time frame. Like, oh, like, yeah. like kind of like, what, like kind of like what we were talking about earlier. When we find those oaks, we know that's going to be that early season. You know, now when when it is that February, March time frame, we're out in the woods, when we look at it, we might find that cluster of scrapes or rubs or something along those lines where you're like, this is where I would be mid to late October. Yeah, that that's definitely any time before spring green up um, for me. The, for me, the earlier, the better. Uh, you know, we don't get a ton of snow here in southeast Ohio, so it's really easy for me to get out the first few months of the year and just log a ton of miles. And what's so nice about that is, you know, these bucks, like I found these bucks like to hang out in areas with the higher stem counts and 
those areas just aren't really places you can go and check out in Southern Ohio when green up happens, because there's a whole mess of stuff in there that's ready to stab you and poke you and cut you up and just not something. And you really can't scout it effectively, but right now none of that stuff is alive and you can slip through these areas that you know are thick when green up is here and you can just identify okay, how would a buck, if he's living here, X, and usually you can find the trails and you can find a scrape if it exists, or if you need to put in a mock scrape, that's my time to do it. So especially if I'm putting in a mock scrape, I'll get into those thickets and find that plausible exit trail and look for the tree that I can hunt out of under the right conditions. And then I'll just kind of make my setup during this time of year and um, I don't even mind putting those mock scrapes out now um, because you're not hurting anything by doing it. And what it is, it's, it's just you might not get a ton of action on it this time of year through the summer, but those deer are going to know it's there. So if you know that's a buck bedding area and you put that mock scrape right next to it um, and that buck, he might only hit it four times from now until September, but then all of a sudden in October, he's there every other day. Well, it's not a coincidence. It's because you put it there nine months ago and he has that in his mind of like, okay, I know I can kind of go here, but he just wants to spend more time there when it's the right time. Right. How would, um, how, how would you rate your, your, uh, 2023 hunting season this past year? Oh man, honestly, 2023, I, I did not get to get out in the woods, like barely at all. <laughs> um, and this is coming from somebody, I think I hunted like just shy of 60 days in 2022. And I think I tallied up like nine days this year. Um, it was like a really weird year for me uh, it, and it's all good things. Um, I just, I had a really good opportunity to kind of, uh, to, advance my business to a level where like I know in a few years from now I'm going to have a lot of free time to hunt in the fall so I was just kind of like one of those things I sat down with myself in September I was like man I can sacrifice one year for a lot of hunting in the future so like yeah really I, I didn't get to hunt a ton but you know it's it's all right because I was out there I was helping people do their thing and they had a lot of successful hunts I still almost filled my tag and honestly it's like it's not completely over yet uh we can hunt until beginning of february down here in ohio so i have i have a few cameras out there doing some work for me um i know of a few good late season food sources where if the timing lines up and i don't have anything going i'll definitely slip out for the afternoon and try to put a tag on one but um yeah i just i didn't get out as much as i wanted to but it's all right yeah yeah so i i I mentioned earlier like how i said like obviously i've grown as, as a individual that's feel more confident with my scouting along those lines, what, what have you noticed? Cause that is the beauty obviously right now of the world that we live in. We could, we can have the, you know, YouTube university, we have the podcast university, we are able to gain all this knowledge, but it's also like applying it, right? Like it's one thing to, uh, engulf it and digest it, but it's also to be able to go and put forth, what you just ate basically right like just for easier terms here what are you still seeing or helping people out that are just still missing kind of the that that uh i don't know what's the right right terminology but like that 
that understanding basically. Yeah. So I call that um, like principles versus tactics where I myself, and I, and I put myself back in the shoes of, okay, I'm on my first, second year on my five hour car ride down to Ohio and I'm listening to podcasts the entire way. You know, I'm listening to Andy May talk about how he's killing these big Ohio bucks, Dan Infault talk about how he's hunting buck beds. And it's just like you're lit and you get, to, and that's so what's so beautiful about us living in the content age is that we can listen to these absolute legends talk about how they've had all of this success based off of their tactics. And early on, that's what I was. I was a tactic junkie. You know, I was like, oh, you just, hunt this and that and you're going to be fine and it's like I would never have success and it got to the point where it was like you know push came to shove it's like I either got to do something different or I'm going to lose interest in this and I knew I what I I wasn't going to lose interest in it so what I started doing was shifting my mindset and instead of solely taking like the tactics from these guys that had the success it was what can I take from this conversation that I just listened to them and how can I apply it to my situation? And that's kind of like the goal of what I try to do with my content is I don't want to document like how I killed this buck that I was after all year. I don't want to do anything like that. I just want to give these quick little bits of info of maybe somebody can look at that and they can learn how they can apply it to their situation. And that's how like I try to focus it directionally because that was like the biggest thing for me was going from consuming all of these tactics to consuming the right tactics and applying it to my situation. So it's like really taking it that step further uh, because we have all this content we can consume. It's just like, you know, I, I might only, I might listen to an hour long podcast now and I might only get like one really good sentence out of it, but it's still worth it because I'm always actively thinking, like going into it, um, you know, what can I get from listening to this guy? And like, how can I apply it? And I'm like waiting for that. And my brain's anticipating it. So once it's there, it's like, oh, that's it. That was like the missing link. So it's kind of like just continuing, continuously putting together those missing links and like really focusing on just like the principle base of the tactic. I like talk. it, man. What's, uh, what are you working on this year? we're trying to improve upon for, for 2024? I think for the 2024 season, um, what it, the main thing that I'm working on, you know, like I feel like my system's pretty well dialed in. Obviously I'm always making tweaks and adjustments to my approach, my equipment, everything like that. Um, I, I think I just want to focus on, like actually enjoying the days in the woods. That was like the big thing about 2023 when I was out there is like, I didn't get as many days to hunt. And I found myself when I got in the tree, I was always thinking about like, all right, I got to do this, this and that the rest of the week. But you know, you only get so many November fourths in your life and um, being able to enjoy those times or like being, I, I'm only going to be in my twenties for a couple more years chasing down buck beds in early or late September, you know, it's like, so I just want to live, I want to live in the moment more uh, just because I get, I, I just get so caught up on progress and what's next that I, I forget how beautiful and lucky it is to be able to go out and just hunt that hunt. I like that, man. Okay. One more. What's your favorite whitetail dish? Ooh, 
I have to say my wife and I have been working pretty hard on perfecting a really nice venison chili. And um, it's hard for me to top anything venison based outside of that now, because it's been being crafted for like the last five years and um, it's dang near perfection at this point. (laughs) Nice. That's awesome. That's good. Can't go wrong with chili. And man, I'll tell you what, right now too, it's been so cold and and everything along those lines, those stews and, and soups, man, it, it, it hits home. Well, I think tonight it's a uh, Tuesday. So it's, it's taco Tuesday. We're going to do some, uh, some crunchy soft taco quesadilla, little mixed things to get my daughter. She loves it. My wife likes it, yeah. likes those. As long as it's, it's in that kind of, uh, flavor. She, we, she just had, a um, she's what, a couple weeks post post baby right now. So she's starting to get her, her, her meat, uh, uh, sea legs back under, I guess you could kind of yeah. say she's, she's ready for, for all the meat again. So, but that's, that's on our, our docket for this evening's, but man, Greg, dude, I appreciate you, man, coming on, sharing some wisdom. There's, I could see us doing another one, two, three, four more episodes in the future, man. I, I loved, enjoyed talking with you and I liked our flow. So where can people follow along, find you? And like I said earlier, please plug your Instagram thing because, again, those videos are so informative. They're really awesome. Uh, where where can people follow along and, and do and see what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so like you said there on Instagram, uh, that is just going to be Ohio underscore whitetail underscore partners. That's definitely where I'm the most active. Um, I do try to work through when people send me DMs and stuff. Uh, I, I have a little bit bigger following now, so it's definitely not – always right on top of it. Um, but I, I get to those as quickly as I can. Definitely. Uh, you can find a lot of really good content on there. Um, as far as our whitetail partners team that we have, we have a YouTube channel, which is just whitetail partners on YouTube. We have our website, whitetailpartners.com. If you have any questions and you want to reach out to me specifically outside of DM, uh, you might have a little bit better luck, uh, reach me on my email, which is just Greg at whitetailpartners.com. I think that is pretty pretty much all of the best ways that you can find me on the internet. Awesome, man. Dude, I appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed this one too. And uh man, go give Greg a follow. Make sure you're you're you probably already do, I'm telling you, because there's not a lot of people doing the the content side of things that, that Greg's doing on social media when it comes to the tactics and, and strategy. So make sure you're following him with that. And we'll see you next week, everybody. Thanks again for watching. Thanks for listening. And we're up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler Up.